As you may have guessed, we are sponsored by the Bookish Society. You might have guessed that from our name and our various co-branding. So I wanted to let you know that we are open for registration now. And if you've never heard of us before, here are some facts that aren't about books. Number one, we're familiar with and accepting of neurodiverse children. I have several of my own. Number two, we offer developmentally appropriate literary analysis through our book clubs. And three, we're firmly secular, although we would never disparage religiously based homeschoolers. So head over to our website and check us out at thebookishsociety.com. Hey everyone, today I'm chatting with Monica Sherwood, the author of The Ice House, which is available now by the time you hear this. Hi, Monica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for joining me today. So I did a little sleuthing and this is this is what I found out about you from the internet. You have a beautifully curated Instagram feed that I should definitely emulate because it is a textbook, exactly what you're supposed to do with your Instagram. Oh, thank you. That makes me feel great. I feel like I don't have it's, the best being out there because I'm No, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. You've got like the exact amount of like your life and then a quote and then your book. Oh, <laughs> I like that you. your book is like every fourth one. I was like, that's smart. <sighs> yeah, I don't want to inundate people with it because... You know, I don't want to be salesy. I just want to give people a peek into my life, I guess. Yep. So speaking of that, you take pictures of Brooklyn, like the ones I take of Chicago. I'm obsessed with like city life. I love like those long shots down the row, like, like a row of houses or like, I'm the person that'll stop and take a picture of a dandelion coming up through like the cracks you know? <laughs> yes. It's so poetic. I know. I, I love my neighborhood so much and I constantly have to stop myself from taking pictures because I feel like a tourist, like on my own street, but I'm like, this is going to be great picture, especially now with the trees, the uh, leaves changing colors. I'm like, Oh, this is a great picture. Um, so sometimes I do stop and take them. And sometimes I'm like, no, you can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always feel so self-conscious too. I'm like, obviously yeah. I'm taking this and you either feel like a tourist or like an Instagrammer, whatever. I'm like, yes. I'm not yeah. really an influencer, but you know, right. this is the perfect shot. So I'm doing it. Also, we need to bond over coffee. Yes. Oh my goodness. <sighs> so what did you drink before this podcast? What was your coffee? I actually had the Whole Foods, it's like Bon Vivant coffee. <laughs> they, make okay. really, they make these huge tubs of it. So I brewed it myself. But how about you? What did you have? Um, ironically, I had, I went yesterday to Whole Foods and I got an extra uh, Vietnamese cold brew. Ooh. So I had that in my fridge for this morning. because That was wise. You prepared. You thought yeah. ahead. It's so caffeinated. It's so small and yet so full. It's like, you don't need all that liquid. You just need the caffeine. Yes. It's so good. So, all right. We should talk about the ice house because I really want to. I have so many questions. Okay. So prepare yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. So 
the Ice House is going to be our first book we read for uh, with our tweens in August when we come back after summer, because obviously I had to pick, you know, you know, publishing, you know, all the yeah. books way ahead of time. So I already have this year planned out, but we'll do we'll do the Ice House first in in August. And hopefully, you know, the supply shortages will be in our collective past by then. So well, thank you. That's so exciting. It is so exciting. I'm I'm very excited because like you would be amazed at the things that kids like all the kids that are in bookish are, you know, inhale books. Right. Mm-hmm. And because they've read so much, they're tiny little critics and they're awesome. And they find things that I don't find and they ask the best questions. And gosh, it's like the best job I've ever invented. Uh, <laughs> but OK, so. I have questions then. So when did you start thinking about this story? Like, was it all in one piece or was there like, because it's, you know, it's kind of segmented. You've got a lot of different things going on, but it all, it all comes together beautifully. But like, was it like, what was it that came to you first or was it the whole thing? Well, thank you. It does have a lot going on now that you say it that way. I really had this image of Louisa and Luke in the snow and there being this idea of like the city being kind of desolate and the snow covered world with these two kids. That was really the image I had. And I started writing about that, like that sort of um, these two kids and their environment in I think it was like 2017. I was looking back through my notes, like as I've prepared to talk about it. And I was teaching and I was teaching in Brooklyn. It was one of those winters. I just said, there's so much snow. I mean, you're from Chicago. So yeah, <laughs> so I, I know tell you about this. And I just was thinking about the kids at the school I taught at and like, what if there are those snow days that never end? And that can be so fun. But there's this other side to it where there's this real isolation. So I started thinking about that and then wrote that, but publishing and writing, you know, it's a really long process. The bits about climate just kind of came about as I asked myself, why are these two kids in this kind of snowy environment that isn't ending? Climate change just seems like a natural sort of catalyst. And so then I got to explore that. And then I I guess it was exploring the question, why are these two kids that used to be friends but aren't friends anymore kind of forced to hang out together? What's happening? And from that, I explored a lot of the themes about grief and um, some of the, I guess, friend drama that goes on there. And it kind of the magical little pieces of it are kind of just like the icing on the cake for me. I think I don't. I I really liked exploring that. And I don't think, I think it evolved naturally through the writing process. Yeah. So it's interesting that you thought about uh, people being, you know, like trapped at home in 2017. So like way Mm -hmm. before the pandemic. Yes, it is pretty crazy. I do feel it's important to say I edited it during the pandemic because it's not like I was, what like a fortune teller I could see the future I had it's funny because as I wrote it like the kids never went to school they had no contact with school at all when I first wrote it Mm -hmm. um 
I couldn't imagine what's happened with remote learning. So as I started to see those pieces, um, and I am a former teacher, so a lot of my friends are teachers, and I started to see what was happening with that. I incorporated that into the editing process. So um, I couldn't, it's like with the imagination, I couldn't imagine that happening. And then reality, and I saw, oh, people are meeting online. This is happening. I was able to be inspired by reality kind of and add that in. Yeah. And that works out perfect because kids are going to recognize their own experience in it now. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they will. Um, yeah. So I had to ask, did you grow up building ice houses? <laughs> I, so I grew up on Long Island, so it's not like we got like a ton and ton of snow, but we had our snow days. Um, I was always the kid that was so excited to go out and play in the snow. And then my poor parents, within five minutes, I would be crying. Like, I'm so wet. I need to come inside. But I think the most sort of building I ever did in the snow was like a snow family. We had some really impressive snowmen, snow women and stuff as a kid. I just think that there is something really magical about snow at night. And you kind of just look out on your street. So I think it's an interesting piece of like the snow does become such an obstacle in the ice house, but maybe that's where that magical idea came from. It's just like the quiet where you see everything covered in snow, that first snow winter, there is some sort of magic to it. So. Oh yeah. When it first falls and it's that really thin, crunchy snow and it kind of sparkles. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the best. And it's, you know, and then it always seems to get ruined as soon as you get a bunch of people like walking through it. But if you can catch it, like, you know, before it's been all sloshed about. Yes. So, I mean, okay. I'm trying not to give spoilers. So <laughs> there's a kind of have to in a way. I know I mean, you kind of, I mean, and some of this I think is on the description your publisher put out. So I figure, uh, you know, it's yeah, out there. I'm okay. If we spoil it. It is what it is, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you've got a story about grief. You've got the, you know, a different kind of like basic mass quarantine situation, which has resulted from climate change. And then you've got my favorite magic, because anytime an author can weave magic into like ordinary, regular life, I'm I'm totally hooked. So, gosh, (laughs) I'm assuming you did a ton of research for this because you must have done some medical research because that all seemed on point. But what about the glass blowing? (laughs) Did you just know all that? No, I did not know that. Um, I've always really been interested in glass blowing. I think I went on a few vacations as a kid to New England where um, you can go to like a factory and see glass blowing. So that's always just been in my mind as something really interesting. And yes, I realize it's, it's science, but it always felt a little magical to me. And I, so I watched a bunch of videos about the process on YouTube and read articles about it just to kind of understand. And maybe it's obvious, but it is so dangerous. And I kind of was fascinated by the idea that Louise's mom had this dangerous job that creates such beautiful pieces at the end. So I really did kind of go down a rabbit hole of researching that. Um, but it was really fun to research and to see the different pieces people make and their process. Yeah, I kind of geeked out on it. 
Yeah, I love that whole storyline and, you know, sort of Louisa's artist journey of her own, you know, that and I'm pretty sure like you, you know, you you probably said this, I'm probably paraphrasing you, but it was like she was already an artist, but not the same way that her her mom is like she's her, you know, she's going to create her own art. And I think that's so important for for kids to know that there's like all these different ways to be creative. Yes, I'm really, really passionate about that because I am the kind of person, I was very type A as a kid and I always wanted to be an artist and I never really listened when people kind of encouraged me to do it because I didn't think I was good enough. And I think a lot of kids are told early on that, oh, you're not, this isn't your talent necessarily. Hopefully this doesn't happen as much. I just remember as a kid in school, like there were certain kids that were chosen to decorate something because they were so artistic in the classroom. And every kid has creative value and they should explore it and not edit themselves so much. So I hope that people take that from it. And also the idea that she's kind of um, emulating her mom and probably hero worships her mom a bit about this art, but you're your own person. And I think this age group, it's really important for kids as they're coming up with their sort of what they love, what they care about to realize you are your own person as much as you can be inspired by your parents or react to your parents. So it's worth kind of figuring out what you like and what you have to contribute. Exactly. And the fact that you can learn to do anything you know, like so many kids are like, oh, I'm bad at drawing. Like, but you haven't practiced, you know, it's like you can, if, if you want to learn something, you, you know, you can become competent in it in most cases. Yeah. It really bothers me when kids say they're not good at drawing because it's, I mean, it's such a constant thing. I, I, as a teacher, I heard it all the time. I was teaching kindergartners who were saying, oh, I'm, I'm not good at this. It's like you're five. (laughs) Exactly. You could could be so talented, you know, and obviously you can't really necessarily explain all that to a kid, but I would just be really happy if that was something that was a bit more inspired, like in mainstream education. It's like allow kids to have opportunities to explore those pieces and try different things and really understand that the way you see the world, you can express creatively. And it's really important, like everybody's perspective is needed. Exactly. So when you were a kid and you were reading, were you a Bridge to Terabithia fan? So I was, and it's really interesting that you bring Bridge to Terabithia up because I read it. I think I was going into sixth or seventh grade. It was um, required reading, like the summer, summer reading. And I think that I must have heard maybe from my parents or some of the parents of my classmates that it had been a banned book and knowing a bit about that definitely made me wonder why it was banned I remember being a little bit confused about that and then when we got back to school so many parents had complained that we never talked about the book which is the worst outcome because most of the kids in the class had read it because it was required And then we never talked about it because I guess some parents were really upset about it. And when I was super, super lucky and I connected with my agent, 
Stephen Mock, he started talking to me about what inspired it. And the first thing he said was, you know, this reminds me of Richard Terabithia. Did you like that book? And I hadn't thought about it at all when I was writing it. And then once he said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, I see that connection. So maybe it kind of gave me like some sort of inspiration because I always was really curious about why it had been banned and it made an impression on me for sure. Yeah. Um, it has that kind of quiet energy, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to describe until you, if you've read, like once people have read both, I think then they, you just see it, but it's, I, you know, I thought a lot about how to like why I'm saying it's like that. And I'm not like, it's hard to put into words, but it, it is, it hits like the same kind of a quiet book. Well, thank you. I, I do love um, Bridget Carabithia. Um, yeah. I guess the one thing I would say, I hope the difference, I mean, I guess, spoiler alert for Bridget Carabithia. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I don't know why I said two, by the way, it's of, <laughs> I know that <laughs> reading my own um, notes wrong. Um, I hope the difference would be, I hope the ice house is more hopeful in a way. I think where the two books hopefully differ. Um, I think the ice house, I don't want kids to feel as if they've been tricked by this idea. I think a lot of kids reading Terbithia do feel like, Oh, they don't go there. And you know, they never get there. And this very tragic thing happens Um, with the ice house. uh, There is tragedy, but I tried to also build in pieces where the two kids are really giving each other strength to overcome things but where there is I think that similarity is I didn't shy away from some more depressing realities of life and I understand if people don't have the best reactions to that but I think it's important for kids who have experienced trauma or um, grief in their family that there are things that you know just are facts of life and are really difficult but I wanted Louisa and Luke to kind of exemplify that you can get through that. Um, things aren't always going to be perfect, but hopefully there's still going to be opportunities to think about the future and be hopeful about the future. Exactly. I mean, and it's not even just kids, you know, I get a lot of parents that say, Oh, like we have this neighbor and this terrible thing happened. Do you have like a book you could recommend that I could give the kid and yes, like that's, you know, then I can, I can see doing it then, but just having, you know, regular kids read, read extensively, I think is so helpful to them in the future, because even if that particular thing never happens to them or anyone they know, reading about people getting through difficult situations helps when you're in your own unique difficult situation, because you have examples of how to navigate these things. It's kind of like how people say that, you know, reading builds empathy, but I think it also builds personal strength. I totally agree. I think, yeah, empathy is kind of the big, very important buzzword in in sort of the education world right now, everything we've experienced with COVID. But I think there's a resilience that really building you can build resilience through reading different books as well. And kids can see, oh, well, this kid got through this experience, which I might not be in, but um, if they can get through that, 
when I'm struggling with something else, you know, I can be inspired by their strength as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's why, well, you know, all this, I mean, there's kind of a new resurgence of, of book banning and that's, that's just so silly because, you know, kids are going to read, you know, they're going to get their hands on whatever they want to read. And it's like, in a way, it's like these book banners crack me up because they're not going to ban it from everywhere. And if kids want to find it, they're going to, I mean, kids already own these books. They're going to borrow, you know, they're going to borrow it from a friend. They're going to find it at a different library. They're going to, you know, I just, I think that reading freedom (laughs) or freedom to read what you want, reading freedom, (laughs) that's not a good (laughs) phrase, but I feel like that's like a major part of like uh, elementary education. You know, it's like K through eight. It's like, really, it's like, you know, at the beginning, it's all about getting kids to read, right? Like if you, if they can't read, they can't do the work in like third grade. So it's all about getting them to read. And then somehow then, you know, you get all these people that when they get out of school, they don't pick up books anymore. And it's so, it's such a weird thing that it's like such a focus when, you know, kids are little, it's like, now you know how, but we're not going to let you like read for pleasure, or we're not, we're going to like very carefully curate the list of books you can read and uh it's weird and then when kids do read books that maybe were banned because someone has decided that they have themes kids can't understand now it's not being taught so they read it on their own and maybe if you talked about it in a lesson you know kids would Mm -hmm. be able to understand it in a deeper way so you've really just created interest that then kids really can't process if it is a book with a challenging theme that would be really great to explore in a class, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, it's like, so there's a lot of, um, there's all, you know, there's not, there's always, but in middle grade, the main characters are middle grade age So when you've got these themes of, let's say, like divorce or a parent being sick or the kid that's, you know, himself or herself being sick, you know, all these big, big, you know, stressors, they're actually happening to kids every day. So, you know, it's weird when when parents say, oh, that seems like it's too sad. I don't want to give that to them. And but, you know, that's happening to either the kids themselves or their friends or it just seems backwards to me to not just let kids read whatever. <laughs> totally. And I think I was definitely concerned as the book came out or is coming out that, well, people think this book is too depressing. <laughs> and I think, you know, probably some people will not every book is for everybody. You know, I understand that, but I also think there's a level of kind of the idea that kids, don't have to go through depressing things. It's kind of, I don't love that kind of perspective on it. I think it's kind of a privilege to say, oh, kids, really, this is too bleak and depressing for them. Because maybe for you, maybe you didn't experience those things, but you should know other people do and other kids do. And like you said before, it's like, even if you're not going to experience the things that happen in this book, if you don't have a grandparent that passes away or you never have to deal with memory loss, your neighbor, your friend, someone in life will. And if you've really been raised in a 
place where it's like, don't think about those. Don't read about sad things. Don't watch sad things. Don't have healthy conversations about sad things. When you do struggle, you're going to be without resources and really have no kind of context for what that might be like. So, Exactly. Uh, so, okay, on a brighter note, what are you reading lately? Um, well, um, I actually read um, Across the Desert, which is also pretty sad. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I know, <love> right? <laughs> uh, I did love it, and I'm rereading it. I just, I love Dusty's prose, and her characters are so strong. So, And, you um, know, all her books make me want to go to Arizona. Me too. I really, I've never been there. Um, and I would love to go. She really captures the environment in such an interesting way where you just want to get out there and explore it. Um, yeah. It's a character all its own. It kind of adds to the story. Um, and I'm rereading, I'm in a rereading kind of zone <laughs> of the did you ever read Lily's Crossing, which is by uh Patricia Riley Giff, I think? Um I don't think so. I've read other books by her. Now I'm so, reaching for a pen. Um I loved this book. I it's funny, I was talking about sort of that made me want to be a writer when I was a kid, and I remembered Lily's Crossing, and it's about a girl during World War II, and I think she lives in Rockaway in New York, which is kind of near where I grew up. So I think when I read it, it was the first kind of realization that, oh, this person's from uh, an area near me, and their experience really um, resonated. And even though it was from like the ninth, or she was living in World War II time period. Um, so I started to reread it just because now thinking about other things I want to write, I like to kind of connect to why I really liked certain books. So I've been trying to kind of review older books that I enjoyed. Yeah, I love historical fiction. I feel Thank like there's you. not enough of it anymore. I mean, like Abby, like, you mm -hmm. know, he's like always pumping them out and he's like in his 80s, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, hashtag goals <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I know it's but so it seems like it's more it seems like contemporary stories or fantasy are like really like the trend in middle grade I kind of wish we would have more historical fiction me too I would love to write a historical fiction um middle grade book um I don't think it'll be like the next thing I write but maybe <laughs> the piece after that for me the challenge is there's so many time periods I'm really interested in and so I have a hard time kind of focusing on one but even more contemporary um like now seeing and this is tv but there are so many tv shows that are just doing like the 90s a really beautiful job of highlighting what was happening <laughs> there yeah know? yeah um or like, I really like Dairy Girls. Um, oh, my gosh. Me, too. That is my that's like the show I can I just watch and rewatch, like if I'm sad. And then like after a couple episodes and I I'm not sad anymore. It really does. It has the same effect on me. Um, yeah. And that's a show where I don't necessarily think it's like, you know, the main focus isn't the history, but it's also a major part of it in really quiet ways. And then. I love the impact, like there's more serious moments where 
you see the world around the girls. Um, well, and just how well they just adapted to like, this is just the way it is. Like, I'm going to have to go around the long way now because they've got this bridge closed down because it might blow up. And they're just like, oh, right. you know, shrugs. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's really that resilience, too, I think is important to show. It's also just so funny. It is. <laughs> That's just... my definitely like my sense of humor. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, gosh, I always try and ask this. What do you do to get yourself out of a reading slump? Like, is that when you reread? Well, I think I tend to um, move to like nonfiction because this is kind of weird, but I listen to audiobooks of nonfiction, but I don't listen to audiobooks of fiction. I don't know why. It's like this weird thing I have because nonfiction then kind of seems more like a podcast to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoy that. Um, but with fiction, I need to hold the book and read it. Like I just really prefer that. Um, so sometimes, yeah, I move into like the nonfiction and try and like almost like a palate cleanser. Um, and then sometimes I'll watch a movie or a TV show about some specific kind of time period or topic. And then that kind of lends me to look to books about those things. And then I kind of get back into it. But there are definitely periods where I struggle with just the act of picking up a book. Sometimes I think it's just our attention span is just, or mine is so much shorter now. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, I read constantly. And now it's harder for me to just say, okay, now you're going to read, just pick up a book and read because there's so many other things I could do that are more instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. I'm finding myself and I'm, I'm kind of like mad about it that I'm reading way faster on my Kindle than I am when I get an actual book. And I hate that because I'm like a person who wants the book on my shelf and right, it's right. it's really weird. I'm like, oh, I don't like that my brain is changing like this. So I know. I, is, this, is it just adapting? I don't know. It's it's weird. It is like weird. That. I mean, like, I'm not one of those people that really care, like, you know, where I was ever anti-ebook or anything. I mean, right. I was just like, I will read whatever format you give it to me. I will take it. But it's just like a weird, it's a weird thing. Do you uh, find that the kids in... Um, when you're reading, are they using, yeah. yeah, are they using ebooks or physical books or it doesn't matter? They are reading, um, they, gosh, almost always prefer a, a, a book book, a regular book. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if, you know, they can't get it, I hear, you know, then they'll say, oh, I had to read it as an ebook. And then they hate it because it's harder, it's harder for them to go back and figure out like what they wanted to talk about, which is funny. So I was like, you know, you guys know you could highlight. It actually should be easier in the ebook maybe because you can highlight it and flag it. But um, oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You know, but they, uh, they prefer a book. Um, I have a couple kids with dyslexia. And so I always have to make sure that the, the books I choose are on audio because they, <laughs> they listen and man, those kids impress the heck out of me because they will sit down and listen to a seven hour book in like one day. Amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, you, you know, you adapt to however, you know, your brain works um, and they will draw and do other things while they're listening. But I just, 
I'm always impressed by them that they're like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I read the whole thing yesterday and I'm like, wasn't it like eight hours long? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) But I'm so happy that they have that option. Um, because I think with technology, that's one of the great things is that we're able to kind of bridge that gap and allow access to everyone. Um, because I think before it's like, oh, you're not a good reader. This isn't for you. And now everyone can have those conversations about the plot, regardless of how they accessed it. I'm really passionate about that because I did study um, learning disabilities and I was te- uh, in school for teaching. So mm-hmm. thinking about the different ways that we're able to make things more inclusive is really important. So I'm glad that they're avid readers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's what we, we call it uh, ear reading because, mm-hmm. you know, like it's that. the same thing. It's like, you're just taking the information and, in, you know, by listening instead of with your eyes, but, you know, you're still reading the same book and you're still like having, you know, the same uh, reactions to it. And, you know, and they are, you know, just as insightful as people who, you know, had the actual book in their hand. It kind of stinks for them, though, because like when authors send like those book plates, they don't have anything to stick them to. I always feel bad. I'm like, you guys should make like a little like a bulletin board or something, you know, Mm -hmm. because you can't. uh, So I don't know what we I keep trying to think of like what I could suggest to authors to send for that, because I feel like those kids get left out and that's not fair. Oh, I want to think of something. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, because like even a bookmark doesn't really do them much good. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, maybe, so it's like. Maybe a sticker. A yeah, sticker I think stickers. Yeah. Stickers are always a big hit. Um, that's what I was thinking about for for next fall. Maybe mm-hmm. coming up with some kind of a a printable I can give them where then, you know, we could do like stickers for each book and then everybody would have the same thing. So it would be. Yeah. Do you. you know, um Remember, oh, I don't know if you would, maybe it was a New York thing, but Pizza Hut used to have like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the reading thing. Yes, um, Book It. It was, it was yes. called Book It. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. And so was my sister. And we would get, you know, you'd get your sticker on the pin. And I don't know, maybe we should bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, right. has, everyone has the same thing that they're getting a sticker for and then you're also getting a pizza what's not to like about that (laughs) yeah so pizza hut if you're listening (laughs) feel free to sponsor the bookish kids and give them free Mm -hmm. pizzas uh that would be really cool yeah yeah i don't know we got to think about something because i think that's a good idea though because i don't know i mean like libraries give out pencils and stuff but yeah i feel like getting something would be better yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how it's, now pizza reminds me of reading. <laughs> it's like ingrained. I know. But I also think that it's things were so, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a kid right now. So maybe I'm I know. Wrong. But I just think there were so many tactile things that you could get as a kid. I remember getting a lot of pins and stickers and um, badges. And now I think those things still happen, but a lot of times they're digital, which is cool too. But I don't know. There's just maybe it's nostalgia, really, on my part. But I don't know. Like, I'm not a kid either, but like, I'm hyper aware of everything that kids are into right now because, especially like the 
like the uh, nine and under kids, they get to do show and tell each week with me. And so I know like what everybody wants and all the games they're playing. And, and man, they're all obsessed with those squishmallows. Everybody Uh wants a squishy pillow. (laughs) I think that's like leftover from the pandemic. We're all like, let's just sit in a pile of soft and read. Yes. Yeah. That sounds great to me. I think they're onto something for sure. I know. Right. Okay. Is there anything else we should cover? What do you think? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Monica, for joining me. I loved meeting you and I can't wait till everybody reads the ice house. It's like one of my favorite books this year. Well, thank you. That means so much. And it was such a pleasure talking to you. Um, And I'm a big, big fan of the podcast myself. So I can't wait to hear what happens next. All right. Thanks. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at bookish underscore society and on Twitter at bookish society. And of course, on our website, thebookishsociety.com. Thanks again to Chris Rieger for his audio engineering magic. 